So Brett's been preaching on a series he called, What in the World Am I Here For? And then last week he preached on Isaiah, Here Am I, Send Me. And all this has to do with your discipleship and what we should be doing with our lives. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a deeper dive on that today. I'm going to throw you a curveball, because it wouldn't be me if I didn't. And I'm going to talk about the purpose of your pain. As we were doing our popcorn prayer, some of those prayers were hard. Lisa Snyder's lost a son. Romola lost a son. Um, Wyatt has passed. Other people have heavy hearts over other things. And sometimes our pain can seem pretty meaningless. But that's not what Scripture tells us. And I'm going to show you today, hopefully, that there is a purpose for your pain. And it fits in with what Brett's been talking about. You know, Jesus told us we would have trouble in this world, didn't he? But he said, fear not, I have overcome the world. Some of the things we go through in life are really, really hard. We have emotional pain. There is a death of a spouse or child. Divorce or loss of a loved one, right? You can, you can have abuse in your life as a kid or an adult. Physical, emotional, spiritual, sexual abuse. It, you can have neglect and abandonment. You, you can be betrayed. Anybody ever been betrayed? That's a tough one. Falsely accused of something? You can have addictions. You can go to jail. Mental health struggles. You could have financial crises. Special needs child that, that is taxing. Uh, 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 how, do you, how do you do this? You, you can have self-worth issues. You can have all sorts of things go on in your life that cause you pain. But this is what we know. Scripture tells us that in Romans 8, 12, and we know that to them that love God, that's you, right? Shake your head up and down, please. All things work together for the good to them that are called according to his purpose. Now, you notice I highlighted three words there. I'm, I'm going to bring you to school for a second. We're going to do a word study. Okay. Love, we know agape. That's that unconditional love that we have, right? And it says, for those, and, to, we, and we know to them that love God. Well, how do you know if you love God? Jesus tells us, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. Right? Now, we, we know that Jesus says, that they will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. We know from chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians that love is patient and kind and all those different things, right? Right? This is interactive today. So, so when it says to them that love God, it means to them that obey Jesus. And then it says all things, not, not, not some things, not, not the things I like, but all things, good, bad, ugly, work together for good. Work together. Uh, the word is, I don't have it in my notes, it is um, sunagrio. And what's interesting about this word is the way it's used is grammatically means it's continually happening. So when it's working together, working together to help and work, pulling, putting forth power together, notice two things. It's continually happening. God is continually putting forth power to work to our good, always doing it. It never stops. When I was in Russian school, my Russian instructor used to explain it like this. He is in the process of continually doing something and, and, and putting forth power. 
Now, did you notice that it's together? Isn't all relationship about togetherness? So this work that is getting done, all things work together for the good, means that we're, in, we're involved. It's not just God acting upon you. It's together we're working. And that's going to be a key in a minute. And then called. You've heard of the elect. The, the, the term is kletos. Invited, appointed saints. So we go back to this. And we know that to them that do as Jesus commanded, all things will pr- always work together progressively all the time for the good to them that are saints, invited, appointed, according to whose purpose? My purpose? Jesus' purpose. God's will. Now, that, that's kind of, when you break it down, you're like, oh boy, am I in that group? Certainly you are. But when we think about how does God use pain for, for, for the good, how does, he, how does it have a purpose for our pain, we have to fall under this Romans 8.28. We have to submit ourselves to God. We have to allow God's will. We have to be a people that love God enough to obey Jesus. We have to work together with him continuously in order for this to actually happen. So here's the curveball. I'm going to argue today that your greatest ministry comes from your greatest pain. Your greatest ministry comes from your greatest pain. Now, before you think I'm just giving you a spiritual TED Talk counseling session, I want to give you a biblical example. A guy named Jesus. Jesus did a lot of things on earth, didn't he? But what was his greatest ministry? For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That was the mission. And it came from his greatest pain, didn't it? You know what his greatest pain was? The fall. The fall. You know, how many of you have holy discontent living in this world? You just don't feel right. It just doesn't feel like this is home. This doesn't feel like what it's supposed to be. And if you feel that way, you're right. We were never made to die. We were never made for conflict. We were never made for the things we're going through here. We were made for the garden. And everything in our DNA tells us this isn't right. And when we fell, it broke God's heart. But eternally he had a plan, didn't he? No one one thwarts God's plan. But it broke his heart that that happened to us, and we're going through what we're going through. And Jesus' greatest ministry came from his greatest pain. He said, I will reconcile man and God through his substitutionary sacrifice on a cross and his resurrection. That was Jesus' greatest pain. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That is why he came. So in Scripture we read that we are God's handiwork. I like that word, handiwork. Created in Jesus Christ. Created in Christ. To do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. For a second. This is the way I look at this. God knew your name before you were born, right? Yeah, right. Do this. It helps me out. Eternally, he had created works for you to do. Now, here's the beauty of this. You're the only one that can do what you were made to do. I can't do what Ted was made to do. I, I, I can't play piano like Vanita. Not my job. 
I, I do what I do. I have a lane. You have a lane. And I'm going to argue today that while we do lots of ministries, all of us do lots of ministries, there's one thing we were made for, according to Ephesians 2.10, that's our greatest ministry. And that's going to come from your pain. There's a great scene where Jesus is hanging out with sinners. He's actually at Matthew's house, the tax collector, and he's having dinner, right? I'm going to eat at your place. And the Pharisees are there, and they're just outraged. And they're saying to his disciples, how can, how can this man eat with sinners? And Jesus, of course, knowing their thoughts, said this, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, this is so important because too often in our ministries, we get very, very comfortable talking to like-minded people. But Jesus' mission was what? To seek those that were lost. To hang out with sinners. Because it's the sinners that need a doctor, not the righteous, not the healthy. So when I talk about your pain and how you minister to others in your pain, meeting them in their pain, what you're going to find is most of the people you meet are not believers or at least not practicing their faith, which makes it really hard. But look at Jesus' ministry. Who did he have the harshest words for? The adulterous woman? The demon-possessed man? No, it's the Pharisees. It's the religious leaders. It's, it's the ones that were being legalistic. You can't carry your mat two feet on a Sunday. He had compassion. Compassion for those who were broken. Compassion for those who were blinded by Satan. Compassion for those who were sinners. Because that's why he came. And I thank him for that because that was me. I was broken, sinner, lost. And he never gave up on me. Continually. Because every day he doesn't give up on me. So let me tell you this. How many of you have had tragedy or hardship in your life? If you're not raising your hand, you've got to come see me after class. For those of us who have been in the dark, I tell people that you have an absolute responsibility to go back into the dark and lead others out because you know the way. Let me say that again. If you have been in a dark place, you've been through divorce, you've had a loss, you've had a trauma, and God has done healing in your life and brought you out of that into the light, you have a responsibility to go lead others out because you know the way. And I'm not just saying that. Galatians 2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Do you know what the law of Christ is? Then he tells disciples, I give you a new command. Love each other as I have loved you. Why is that a new command? Instead of loving each other as you love yourself, love your neighbor as you love yourself, he says, love each other as I have loved you. He loved everyone sacrificially. He gave everything he had for the love of the people. So when we are, are to be Christians in the church, and, and, and we're to love each other, you know, and, and this agape, it means I will sacrifice 
everything for Todd if he needs me to. Because I love my brother. I'll sacrifice my time, my talents, my treasure, my life. Everything. If I truly have the love of Christ in me for Todd. That's the law of Christ. And that's why love overcomes evil. That's why love is the big deal in, in Scripture. It's because we will sacrifice ourselves for another. Man had no greater love than to give his life for his friends. So don't get me wrong here. I, I'm saying that your greatest ministry will come from your greatest pain. That doesn't mean that you don't have other ministries, does it? There's lots of ministries out there that are fantastic. You know, if you look at Jesus, he healed the lame, he, he fed the hungry, he exercised demons, he preached the good news, he discipled the 12. He did a lot of stuff that was ministry. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That was his greatest ministry. Dying on a cross as propitiation, paying the price for our sins to reconcile man and God and rising on the third day so that he overcame death so that we have eternal life. That was his greatest ministry. Even though he did a ton of other things. Woo! Faster. So, how do you, how do you use this pain? I mean, I, I believe everyone has pain in their life. Because Jesus would not have said you'll have trouble in this world if we didn't all have it. Most of us avoid going back in the dark because it triggers us, right? I mean, who wants to go back to that place that's really bleh? Once you escape it, you escape it, and you're like, whoo, that's done. That's what I thought. Twelve homes growing up, abuse, neglect, abandonment, serious PTSD afterwards. You think that I wanted to go do prison ministries after my dad spent however many years in jail? You think I wanted to work with ex-cons? Do you think I wanted to work with homeless after being homeless? Do you really think I wanted to pour into people? I wanted to just keep that pain to myself <laughs> and not let anybody know. Matter of fact, when I wrote my book in 2013, I have a friend I've known since Little League, since I was 10 years old. He was my best man. I was his best man. We've known, we lived with each other in college. I wrote this book, and Lisa was visiting him in Kansas City on a business trip. And he was saying, Tom, you need to come to KC. And I said, tell you what, I'll make you a deal. You read my book, I'll come to Kansas City, because he's really not much into faith. He goes, oh, I read your book. I'm like, oh, uh-huh. He says, I didn't know any of this. And in my book, I tell the whole story. And uh, I said, well, you weren't supposed to. See, I, I, I held my pain inside. I didn't share it with anybody. But think about this. If God uses all things for the good of those who love him, for his purpose, then why are you allowed to keep your pain inside without taking the experience and the, the healing and everything you learned and pour it into somebody else so they can be healed too? I found myself being selfish. And it was something Pastor Greg taught me. He says, you suck at letting people help you. <laughs> And I said, you're right. I want to just be the helper guy. He goes, but you're stealing people's blessings. I said, what do you mean I'm stealing people's blessings? He said, people are called by God to help you, but you won't let them, so you're taking a blessing away from them. And I said, I hate you. He was right. It kind of changed my life. Changed how I did things. So 
first you got to get personal healing if you're going to use your pain. You got to go to God and and get some Holy Spirit healing. How do you do it? You got to be vulnerable and transparent. And that part's the hardest. You got to be honest about it. You got to renew your mind. You got to change your thinking like Greg changed mine. You got to address the cause, not the symptoms. You got an anger management problem? It's not the anger issue, it's something deeper. The anger is a symptom. Got an alcohol problem? It's not the alcohol. There's something deeper going on. You got self-worth issues? It's not the self-worth. There's something deeper going on. You got to address the causation, not the symptomology. You got to learn to forgive. Because unforgiveness is a cancer. And you got to trust that God's judgment, his justice is perfect. Because then it's easy to forgive. But then comes the harder part. Now you're healed. Woohoo! Shabbat do. Now you got to help others. Now, you know the prescription. If you've had any healing in your life whatsoever, you know how God heals. Why don't you share that with somebody? Now, here's what's interesting. When you're a pastor, Todd or Pastor Brett or whatever, if you came into my ministry without having the similar shared experiences and circumstances, you would lack credibility to talk to some of the people I talk to. Because you haven't, you haven't lived their life. Now, there's things that Todd does, I can't do, I don't have credibility to do it. I, I've not had those experiences. It's theory. Each of you, remember I said that you can only do what you can do? You're the only one that has the experience to have the credibility to talk into somebody's life. I can't. Lisa can't. Only Ed and Miriam can because they've had the experience. And that is a big deal because what happens when you have shared experience and credibility is you build trust. And when you build trust, you build relationship. And when you build relationships, hearts soften. And when hearts soften, the Holy Spirit moves in. Powerful. And that's why our religion is not about appeasing a God. It's about relationship. Here's the other thing that's really important. When you're dealing with something, somebody who has the same pain as you, do you realize you don't judge them? And you have compassion? Because you've been there, done that, and got the t-shirt? How much judgment is there in the world? Anybody got mental health issues? Don't raise your hand. I do. I got PTSD. And when I'm having my moments, trying to find my medication, people could judge me pretty harshly. But those people that have PTSD like me, they get it. And they have compassion. Because they've experienced it. They know what's going on inside my head. Sometimes you got to have those kind of people connecting with those kind of hurting people so there is no judgment. And that even builds trust in relationship further. Hey, look, it's Ed and Miriam. Scripture tells us there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributed by them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God. This is one thing that just drives me bonkers about church. I've been back in church 16 years, and it still drives me crazy how churches won't work together. Everyone's got their individual denomination, their individual church, whatever, and churches do not really work together. The body of Christ is, is, is fragmented. 
just because the judge over there has a, has a lane that he's in and I got a lane I'm in and maybe the two don't seem like that they're uh, the same thing, we could leverage each other and be force multipliers and be very powerful. If everyone in, this, everyone in the church said, this is my personal pain, I'm going to go help people that are in that same personal pain because of my experience, can you imagine what the world would be like? How many people would come to Christ? I, I mean, people are out there dying, spiritually and figuratively and literally. And they need Jesus. Y'all have Jesus, right? Why don't you share them? So I'm going to give you an exercise. i got to be honest here. Rick Warren stole this from me. I just, want to, I just want to get that on the record. I was doing this stuff before Rick Warren came out with his discipleship program. You may remember that Pastor Brett did a four-part discipleship program a couple years ago that, that talked about some of this stuff. And, and I have been using this basically as a, a two, two-fold thing. How this happened was God was calling me to more. Now, at the time I was in the church, I was doing a Bible study here on Wednesday nights. I was doing whatever worship stuff here on Sundays. I was working full-time. I was counseling people. I was doing, I mean, my time was just packed. And God kept whispering to me, I need more. I need more. And I'm like, where in the world are we going to get this more? So I did this for myself. And what it is is a way to figure out what God's asking of you. Now I use it for career development and some other things. But this is a holistic way to look at your life. See, if all things work together for the good of those who love him, it means all things, every experience you have. So let me walk you through this. Now, out on the, on the uh, desk out there, I've got these exercises if you want to take them home and do them. Everyone has innate abilities, right? Just things you are naturally good at. Some people are natural athletes. Some people like me are natural talkers. Um, some people are really good at listening. Some people are great at counseling. They just have a natural ability. Those are called innate. And what you do is you make a list of your innate abilities. In the next column, you put your education. Whether it's high school, uh, classes you like, maybe you took some extra uh, learning somewhere else, maybe you went to college, who knows. And you just say, what is my kind of formal, what have I learned? Trade school, what have I learned? What kind of stuff do I know? That next column is life lessons. I call this the school of hard knocks. These are the hard lessons of life you've learned. Like, you remember where scripture says, be, be as gentle as doves, but as wise as serpents? You know that wise as serpents part you had to learn the hard way? Because someone didn't, wasn't trustworthy? These are life lessons. Next column is your passions. Do, you have any, do anybody have any passions? Is there something about you you just, just love to do? Like for me, um, I, I, I have a karate ministry I do. Love it. Yesterday we had this workout. I killed him. Great. They all were limping when they walked out of the dojo yesterday. I love those guys. I am passionate about that. Everyone has passions. And then you got your spiritual gifts, right? Now, everyone's taking a spiritual gift inventory. Uh-oh. Hey, Pat, can you help me out? I screwed up. Ever taken a spiritual gift inventory? That's the one where you, you find out which board you're going to sit on at church. <laughs> Pat, can you, is there a way to get that back up? Thank you, buddy. There are a lot of spiritual gifts. But in and of themselves, a spiritual gift inventory, uh, thank you, buddy. 
All right, we'll go there. There he is. In and of themselves, it doesn't tell you a lot about your life's mission, the one thing you were made to be doing, you know, the good work God created for the beginning of time, that thing that's going to be your greatest ministry. This in and of itself doesn't do it. Because there's a lot more to you than I do hospitality. Right? So this is the fifth leg of the column. And what's interesting is when you tie all this together, there is a line of consistency that draws across all five columns that tells you who God made you to be. Here's an example. Got somebody who's innately friendly. You ever notice in this church people are like way too friendly? <laughs> the ones, those of you laughing, it's you. This person's a good listener. They're athletic. They have a sense of humor. They went to high school. They have an associate's degree, some special trainings. They, they are a single mom. So they've been through a little hardship. They, they, they know that hard work pays off. They, they, have, they believe that loyalty matters a lot because they've been kind of burned. They never give up. Their passion is helping people, sports, and fixing problems. And their gifts are serving leadership, helps, and distinguishing spirits. What do you think this person should be doing with their life for the Lord? Well, a lot. Counseling looks like a good option, right? Life coach would be a good option. If she wanted to be a teacher that was doing athletics, pouring into people as a, as a coach, young people would be, a, would be a good option, right? Helping single moms get on their feet would be a good option. And all of this, at the same time she's doing this greatest ministry, is about sharing Jesus. Because the only way she can have this work is if Jesus has done healing in her life. That makes sense? So here's what's interesting about pain. Pain can control you. Pain can make you angry. It can make you bitter and critical and judgmental. It can be, uh, uh, you could just be unloving. You just don't care about people. You can be untrusting. People have burned you so many times you don't trust anybody. You can be depressed and emotionally numb. You can be fearful. There's all sorts of things pain will do to you if you allow it to control you. Or you can use your pain for the glory of God. You get Holy Spirit healing. You meet people where they are. Jesus didn't say, hey, hey, Ted, come to the synagogue and I'll heal you. I always tell people, Jesus spoke at the synagogue, right? But when we went outside, he went outside, 10,000 people showed up. He met people where they were. You connect with people in love because you're, you've been there. You show mercy and grace because you truly have compassion over what somebody's going through. If you've experienced grief and someone's experiencing grief, you want to walk with them. If you've been in alcohol issues and you see someone struggling, you want to walk with them. If you've been divorced and you've experienced that pain and somebody's going through this, they just can't understand it, you, you can walk with them. And show them how Jesus walked with you in these things. You get to soften their hearts through these relationships so the Holy Spirit can do his work. And of course, you always introduce them to Jesus because everything's about him. So in summary, your greatest ministry comes from your greatest pain. I'm just, I'm just telling you. That's my experience. That's what I see in the world. That doesn't mean there's not other ministries. There's plenty of other ministries. But your greatest one is going back into the dark. The great thing you were made for is uncomfortable. 
Lean into it. I can only tell you my experience is all the things I told God I never wanted to do. You want to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. He made me do. And I love it. It's the best thing I've ever done in my life. I wake, every, I wake up every day when I'm thinking about doing ministry. Hoorah, <clears throat> let's go get them. Love it. Go into the dark, find God's people. And allow God to use your pain and brokenness to heal others. Don't just keep it to yourself. Don't be selfish. Get that healing and give it to others. Well, I'll leave you this last thought. <laughs> so there you are. You've died. And you see Jesus. And after you get up off the floor and you get your composure, Jesus says to you, hey, hey Donna, I want you to meet someone who's here because of you. What would that be like? What would that be like if Jesus himself said, this person is here because you cared, because you used your name, because you met them where they were, because you took a chance of going into the dark to lead another person out, and they are here in heaven for eternity with us because of you. Does that make it worth it? Would you risk everything about you to bring one person to heaven? The answer is yes. You kind of know where I'm driving. You're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. I tell you, the earth's getting a lot darker, isn't it? Which means we shine even brighter. So get out there. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the dark. You're the light. You have nothing to fear. Jesus is with you every step. I encourage you, figure out where your pain is and ask God to create these divine appointments so you can help others through what you've been through to get them to that place where we're all together, where there's no more pain and no more tears. And all God's people said, amen.